Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. Those of you who are in the room, those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're with us today. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for pretty much as long as they've been Christians. The Lord be with you. Thank you. That's our reminder that as we gather together, the, the Lord meets us here. Uh, that we don't just get together to encourage each other or just to hear some stuff or hopefully learn some things or sing some songs. We get together because we believe that the Lord meets us here. We want to meet not just each other, but the God of the universe and be encouraged and strengthened by him. Pray with me, would you please? Father, we do thank you for the reminder of your love this morning. You truly are a good, good father. Lord, we don't always get the best examples here on earth of what a father should be. But Lord, you are the perfect father for us, the perfect father and mother. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for that. And Lord, I, I just, I feel overwhelmed this morning with the knowledge of that love that you have for me and for each one in, that's in here. I thank you for it. Father, I thank you for bringing us together today. I thank you for each person that's here in person and each person who's joined us online. Lord, you've not done so by accident. You've designed for us to be here and you've given a word for us to hear today. So Lord, I just pray that you will bless everything that happens from this point forward. In this service and in the next service, Lord, that, that we would have open ears and open hearts to hear from you, to learn from you, Lord, and to be aware of you, so keenly aware that you are in our presence. Father, we're reminded today also of this holiday that we, I hate to use the word celebrate, but that we recognize. Lord, we thank you for those who gave their lives in the pursuit of freedom for our nation, and for the families that are left behind, Lord, I pray an extra special blessing on them today as they remember, as we remember, with grateful hearts. So now, Lord, again I ask, be with the rest of this service. Thank you, Father, for being that good, good Father. We praise you, thank you, worship and adore you, and give you all praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Go ahead and be seated as you're waving to folks. Still, once again, we're so close, not quite there, to getting up and milling around. <laughs> and now we're going to have Pastor Rich come. He's got some things he wants to share with us before he brings us the word for this morning. Thank you very much, Pastor Judy. And... Let's see. Oh, I did want to say, uh, if you're in the room, obviously, then you can grab one of those little cards back there by the offering box. But if you're not, uh, you can always go to livinghope.info slash connect and let us know you're with us today, how we can pray for you, give us some feedback, uh, share, share a question, whatever you'd like to, to share with us. That's one good way to connect with us and uh, let us know that you were worshiping with us from afar today or from like right next door, but you couldn't be here or however it is. Um, I, get, uh, I get texts sometimes from some of our neighbors right next door saying like, uh, like Sunday I don't know, after the service, sometime after saying, oh, good message, Pastor, or, you know, things like that. Uh, the, the kinds of things they would have said to me walking out. Um, 
So that's one way to let us know that you're with us and to communicate with us is that, that little digital connect card. Or, and you can go to livinghope.info slash give uh, to give online, or obviously those of us in the room can just uh, drop a gift in that little offering box along with that welcome card. Thank you to all of you who have been so generous toward, uh, toward God, toward your neighbors, through this church, and, and to folks in need all over the world. Um, you know, a portion of everything you give to this church goes out around the world through the Church of the Nazarene that we're a part of. And then there are special occasions like the uh, 6K for Water a week ago, where you guys gave thousands of dollars to, um, to raise money for clean water uh, for kids around the world who frankly, are dying without it. So I wanted to go ahead and, and just put Valpo6k.com back on the screen because um, you could sign up for next year uh, right now if you wanted to. In fact, we've already got almost a dozen people that have already registered for next year's 6K. Right now, there's uh, donors covering the first half of your registration, and that is only good through tomorrow at midnight, I'm told. So uh, through the end of May, it's like the super-duper early bird special or something. So there's a promo code you got to use, but if you go to Valpo6k.com, you see it right there. And uh, if you already know that you want to join us next year and you want to get a head start on uh, inviting friends to be a part of that, then uh, I'd encourage you to go ahead and register now because uh, why not? Um, my, my kids are already registered. They're already signed up for next year. So... All right, and I wanted to take a moment just to say congratulations to those who have uh, graduated. We've got several in our church that have graduated uh, from high school, and, uh, and, and one that graduated with an associate's degree, uh, Denise Jefferson. If you bump into her uh, this morning at some point, she's not in this service, but uh, make sure you congratulate her on getting her associates in human services, I think, is what she just got. Um, and uh, there are lots of us in the room for whom this is a kind of transition time. Whether you're graduating from school or not, it's like, okay, summer means a different kind of schedule. Uh, some of you are teachers and are like praising Jesus that you're <laughs> done for the school year. Um, you know, Katie's back there uh, celebrating. Um, some of you have kids or grandkids that now your schedule changes uh, because of all of that. Um, so as we're making our way through this transition, let's, let's remember to, to keep praying for parents and for kids and for teachers and administrators. Many of you know that my wife, Stacy, uh, you know, is a superintendent of a neighboring school district and all the plans they have to make, you know, as they already are planning for the fall and uh, how to come back to school. Uh, it's a good time to be praying for them and especially to pray for those graduates as they're thinking about, okay, what's going to be next now? I've kind of known what I've do, been doing for the last ooh, 12, 13, however many years. You know, I, I go to school and I go to work or whatever. You know, I, I play my sports, I do my stuff. And all of a sudden now it's like it's taken to a whole other level. So be praying for those graduates and their, and their parents. Um, there are lots of things going on that I feel like I could talk about, uh, whether the Memorial Day weekend or the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa uh, massacre that's tomorrow. There's all kinds of things kind of piling up in this same weekend, and I'm not sure which ones are closest to your heart or which ones have your attention, but uh, the message this morning is going to continue in this series that we're in where I'm addressing questions that you have asked. So that's where we're going uh, for the next few minutes. Um, and if you're here in the room, you've got a little handout. If you're watching from home, I hate to disappoint you today, but I was too far behind the eight ball and didn't get all the little stuff entered in to have scriptures and things up on the screen. So if you're in the room, you can look down at paper when, we, when I read some of these Bible verses and things. If you're at home, I'll, I'll make sure and uh, have a PDF of this thing available that you can download as soon as I can after this service, okay? Um, my apologies to you right now. That's just, that's on me. All right, so today, the questions that we're answering are questions that have come in about the Bible, 
which, of course, as Christians, like, the Bible plays a pretty central role, right? Uh, it's the book that tells us about Jesus and tells us about God. And it's kind of where our faith, uh, are, you know, it's a resource for our faith. It's, for many of us, uh, for some of you, that's what led you to faith, was you were reading the Bible, and you're like, this seems true. And, you know, you're reading the Bible, and God's Holy Spirit starts to poke at your heart and says, I'm talking to you with what's here, and uh, helped you to come to faith in Jesus. Uh, and so, obviously, we care about the Bible and uh, have all kinds of questions, but these are the ones that, uh, that you guys gave me this time. Uh, questions like, why are there so many books of the Bible that are not included in our Bibles? You know, like our Roman Catholic friends have other books in theirs. Or, uh, you know, there's other books sometimes that we hear about, like lost gospels and things like that. You know, how do we know we're not missing something important there? Uh, how do we know we're using the right English translation of the Bible? You know, that our, like our Bible, you know, we know they're different. So how do we know that the Bible we're reading is the right one versus the Bible that somebody else is reading uh, down the street at their church? Um, and then the third question, when people argue for or against blank, fill in the blank with whatever, and I'll let you fill in that blank with something here in a little bit. When both sides are using the Bible to support their argument, how does one Bible verse trump or outweigh another? You know, how do we figure that out? Um, so those are some questions we're going to look at today. And um, if you want, uh, you've got some Bible verses there, and then on the back is like some Bible basics. So if you want to look at the back for just a second, I'm going to do a real quick breeze through uh, of some of these Bible basics. We're not going to look at every bit of this. Um, and some of you are looking at it, you're like, oh, no, this looks like schoolwork. I just finished schoolwork. I'm not looking at this anymore. You know, I can't do this. There's dates and things on here. Um, but just some Bible basics. You guys know as Christians, we've got uh, two chunks to our Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, they, they call it the Tanakh, our Jewish brothers and sisters do. The Law, the Prophets, the Writings. And uh, that list of what's included in that uh, was decided like in the first century or so. Because there are all these different writings, right? They had all these different scrolls, and somebody had to decide at some point, like, which of these scrolls do we like, recognize as Scripture, and which ones don't we? Well, uh, our, our Jewish friends, they, it was uh, like in the first century BCE, or before the Common Era, or BC, you know, this is how, I guess, the uh, academics write it. And somewhere between that and the second century of the Common Era, or, or AD, years after Christ, so somewhere in those uh, two or three hundred years, it kind of became official like, oh, okay, these are the, the scrolls, the prophets, the writings that we consider part of our scripture. Uh, there was a Greek translation that was done. There's a Hebrew translation. There's a, or not translation, Hebrew uh, text, which um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I cannot say, I cannot emphasize enough what a massive discovery that was. Because for a while there, the earliest Hebrew texts that we had were like from the 7th to 10th centuries after Jesus. And we're like, man, that's like a thousand years from the time we think they were probably, you know, compiled and all of that, a couple thousand years after they were written. Well, they find the Dead Sea Scrolls, and those date back right around to the time of Jesus, uh, or a couple hundred years beforehand, right in that era. And they mostly agree with both the Hebrew and the Greek translations that we have. And so that was one of those things like, whew, okay, we didn't miss something important in those thousand years or so uh, as far as the Old Testament goes. You know, it looks like the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles is pretty dang close to what like, Jesus would have been reading and his followers would have been reading when they turned to Genesis or when they turned to the Psalms or whatever. Uh, so the New Testament, speaking of Jesus and his followers, those 27 books were written in Greek. Um, and within just the first couple hundred years, uh, we know that they all had been written because they're all quoted by somebody uh, in other things that we have record of. Uh, sometime, the oldest list that we have where the church said, okay, these are the ones we're going to listen to, and we're not going to listen to those over there. You know, when you stand up to read scripture in church, pastors, read from these books. Select something from these writings. 
That was about 170 years, 170 CE. So about 130 years after Jesus, uh, 140 years after Jesus. Um, now, some of you have heard, wait, I thought that all got decided because Constantine, right? The emperor, that he said, how many of you saw the Da Vinci Code or read that book? Anybody, anybody see that or read that? Oh, wow, we got a whole, book of, a whole room of people that are like, nope, don't care about that stuff. So uh, there was a while back where that was like this huge bestseller and all kinds of people were saying, oh, yeah, the Vatican tried to hide stuff or the church has been hiding the truth about Jesus all these years. And if you haven't read that book or seen that movie, you've for sure come across some magazine as you're checking out at the grocery store that says something like that, you know, secret book found in the Vatican or whatever. Um, and people often look to this, uh, this council, this church council that was called in the 300s, uh, where they finally just said, look, this is it. We're not messing with this list anymore. These are the books that, you know, we're going to have read in our worship services. And, uh, but that had been, they'd already kind of decided that years and years ago. This is just them kindly, finally coming to a conclusion saying, look, we're, <laughs> we're going to quit talking about this now and move on to other things. Lots, thousands of copies of various New Testament books in the first two centuries. And the earliest fragments we have, pieces like a page out of, of one of these letters, uh, is from like 125 years, 125 uh, CE. All right. Some of you are like, man, I, this is not what I signed up for. Why are we talking about all this? You know, I've got a Bible. I've got a book. I just believe it, right? Didn't God just give us this book, drop it out of the sky one day? You know, didn't he just dictate this to Moses and Jesus and whoever, right? They sat down and wrote it and in a story, all right? We've got a book. It's author's God. Let's just move on. Uh, well, the thing is, that's not really how this book came to be. <laughs> you know, this book that we have is like a library of 66 books, 66 different writings, and you know, as you've read that, as you've read the Bible for yourself, you've, uh, some of you have started at Genesis, and you've thought, okay, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Um, or I've, I've got a new, new motivation. I'm going to read it. And you got through Genesis, and you're like, whew, these are exciting stories. These are interesting. You know, some of it's just some weird names and stuff, and did they really live to be hundreds of years old? But okay, cool, you know, and interesting stories. And you get to Exodus, and it's like, all right, wow, this is just like the stuff I saw in the movies, right? It's uh, God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt through through Moses, and, and uh, wow, the, the Red Sea is parted, and oh, here they are, they're getting the Ten Commandments, and, and uh, man, what are all these other commandments? And uh, well, okay, I'll just keep reading, I guess, and you get through a whole bunch of commandments, and finally get to the next book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and that's where most of us stop, because Leviticus is just a whole bunch of stuff that we don't have any idea what this has to do with us, right? It's all these rules for priests, and for the tabernacle, and how they're supposed to do this stuff, and you're like, well, we don't do any of this, and what is this all about? Why, why do I have to read this stuff? And maybe you skip to Jesus. You skip to the Jesus part of the book in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes that's where we kind of think, yeah, you know what, maybe the Bible's just not for me, and we put it back on a, on a shelf somewhere. And that's a tragedy, I've got to say, all right? Because this library, this collection, yeah, it's diverse. It's got a whole bunch of different things in it. And there are some books of it that are a whole big long list of laws that God gave to his people as they were making their way through the wilderness and, and settling into the promised land about how to worship them and how they were going to be different from all of their neighbors. He's trying to teach them who he was, who he is, and how they're going to live as his people. And then there's fabulous poetry. And then there's these books of wisdom with Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. And then there are all these books describing how God had, had sent messages to his people through the prophets uh, to encourage them or challenge them or bring them back to faith in him as they went through all kinds of disasters and ups and downs in their national history. And, of course, we get to the story of Jesus. We get these gospels that tell us the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We have these, this account of what the early church went through in the Acts of the Apostles. We have all these letters written by the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and John. And, and 
written to these early Christians trying to help them figure this thing out. And we have this amazing, weird, uh, artistic rendition of <laughs> the book of Revelation, this vision uh, that's meant to encourage the church in times of trial of how God is still on the throne and he's still going to bring everything to a glorious conclusion one day. It's a diverse groupings of, of literature written over the span of at least a couple thousand years from the beginning to the end. And if we just think like, oh, it's in the Bible, and so that settles it, I'm done, you know, well, then we're going we're gonna to bump into all kinds of questions and all kinds of problems along the way, because as you read it, you realize it's a little more complicated than that. It's just unavoidable. As you read the Bible, you will come across things that challenge that view of the Bible, and, uh, and it's a good thing, I think. Because I think that view of the Bible that just says this is just one book, one author, it's always going to say the same stuff, it's never going to disagree with itself, there's never, never going to be any debate, and well, we just see that that's not the case as we read it and as we do life together with other Christians. Like we just said, like they asked, like sometimes we're disagreeing about stuff and we're both quoting the Bible, but we're coming to opposite conclusions, and how does that happen? So if you go on down, skip on down those Bible basics, uh, as the church was looking at this literature, they had the letters from Paul and other apostles and the gospel writings they had. And uh, they said, okay, well, how do we decide which one of these do we include in our Christian scriptures? They said, well, it's got to have apostolic authority. It's either written by an apostle or a close companion of an apostle. It's got to be consistent with the rest of scripture. It can't say anything goofy about God or about Jesus that just doesn't fit. And it's got to have continuous usage and acceptance by the churches. If some church like, gets a letter from Paul and they read it and they're like, yeah, okay, cool. And they share it, you know, with another church. Um, and that church says, oh, cool. And they feel like God is speaking through it and it keeps getting circulated and keeps getting read in the churches as they gather. Well, then it's like, wow, God is speaking to us through this. This is helpful. This is good stuff. Everybody should read this. Then those letters made it in. If they got a letter and it was like, okay, thanks, you answered our question, but it doesn't really have anything to do with any of those other churches or any of their neighbors or any of their friends, you know, and they pass it on and they're like, oh, what's this got to do with us? That he was answering your question, not ours. And you know, that didn't get circulated, didn't get used by the churches, and it didn't, it didn't get included. So those lost gospels, or some of you have come across those gospel of Thomas or gospel of Mary or gospel of Philip or those things, they're often just collections of story or collections of sayings uh, by Jesus. Uh, they don't really usually tell much of his life or anything. Those were written later. They don't really fit with the rest. They were never widely used or recognized as inspired by the churches, and so they've, they just got lost because people quit, quit using them. And in, our, in their Catholic Bibles, uh, there are those, those books that are called the Apocrypha or the uh, Deuterocanonical books, the second list. Uh, there's just a handful of books that kind of fit between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, way back early in, in Christian history, like 400, 405, I think is when uh, Jerome was translating it into Latin, and he, he labels them as apocryphal. The, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters don't count them as scripture. It's interesting Jewish history about what was taking place there in the Holy Land and in Jerusalem and, and in the, the nation of Israel. But they don't view it as scripture. And so the Christians, you know, when the Reformation happened, um, they said, well, why are we putting these in our Bibles? It's interesting history and all, but it's not scripture. We just want, we just want the scriptures in here. And um, our Catholic friends, they, they still have them in there, uh, but they recognize them as secondary um, interesting history, interesting insight, but doesn't really give us anything. It's not, it's not what we would call the Word of God, you know, not inspired in, in anything like the same way as our Old and New Testaments. Um, 
So just as a quick there for like those other books, good stuff, no, nothing wrong with reading it, um, but you wouldn't want to base like your whole faith and theology and doctrine on something that you read in those books that you don't read anywhere else. Or in one of those lost gospels that was lost for a reason. You know, the church left it behind as they recognized this isn't especially helpful and this, this doesn't fit with the rest of what we know about Jesus. Uh, oh, and the, the English translation thing? All the English translations are good, basically. That's the short answer, all right? Um, they're all based on all these teams of people that go back to translate uh, the Bible into different languages, including English. Um, they all go back to the, the oldest and best manuscripts that we have, the Hebrew and Greek. N- nobody is sitting down with the... People have done this in the past, all right? They sat down with like a King James Bible, and they're like, this is hard to read. Let's just put this in modern English, all right? Some, some paraphrases, and they always get labeled as a paraphrase, some of those have been done in the past. But anything you read today that, you, that says, like, this is a translation, uh, an English translation of the scriptures, they've not done that. They're not, it's not like a game of telephone. And that's where some of these, like Dan Brown with the Da Vinci Code and all of this, the, the people that think, well, it's been translated so many times, who really knows what the original actually said? Well, well you can go back and look at the, the, the earliest manuscripts that we have and, and translate those into English. I mean, that's what these teams do. It's not a giant game of telephone. So we are looking as best as we can, and, and we have better... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word for that. I can't remember now the academic term for, term for it. But we have more copies of early documents of the New Testament than any other ancient work. I mean, if you read anything from that time period and you think, oh, this is interesting, and I think this really does describe what went on at that time well, then you, you should even more than that trust the New Testament because we have much, it's much closer to the actual time of the events and the time that it was written and more copies of it. Um, so anyway, um, so you don't need to worry, I don't think, about using the right translation of the Bible. Use one that connects with you, that speaks to you. The good thing is, and I put some of those websites and, and stuff at the bottom there, you can go online now and just you know, click a button and see it in like whatever verse you're reading, see it in all the English translations. And, and compare and see, and see if the one you've been reading is like dramatically different from all these other English translations. And if it is, you think, oh, okay, well, this is kind of their, they're putting their spin on it a little bit, perhaps. But, um, but you'll get to, by comparing all those different English translations, you can see like, oh, okay, kind of get a consensus view. This is how people have, have understood uh, this verse, how to best translate it into English. All right, I feel like I can leave all that stuff behind now. And, uh, and do a little bit, some stuff that might be more interesting. So you've got in your notes there, Second Peter chapter 1. Um, this is one of Peter's, one of two letters from the Apostle Peter that we have in our New Testaments. And he says, near the beginning of his letter, he says, For we were not making up clever stories when you, we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. He says, Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So he's talking about the New Testament and the Old Testament there. He's saying, look, when we weren't making up stories, when, when we told you about Jesus... This wasn't just something like we heard from somebody else or somebody else. We saw Jesus. We walked with him. We talked with him. 
And we're sharing with you what we ourselves saw and heard. That's what I included uh, in your notes there underneath 2 Peter chapter 1 to see also Luke chapter 1, the opening verses, where Luke says, look, I've talked to the eyewitnesses. I've investigated it thoroughly uh, to put together this orderly account. I've talked to the people who were there. He's kind of like the first uh, Christian like reporter or something. Um, and 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, is one of the letters of John in our New Testament. Um, he says, look, we're telling you about what we have seen with our own eyes. What we saw, what our hands have touched, that's what we have proclaimed to you. So the Bible, the New Testament, uh, claims to be eyewitness testimony of apostles. And, uh, and like I said, we have every reason to believe that it really is because of how early it comes in history um, and how early we have people quoting it. I mean, there were people who talked to people who talked to Peter, you know, at the time that these are getting in wide circulation. And if these had been like, you know, dramatically different than what people had heard, they would have said, whoa, 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 that's not what, that's what, not what Peter told us. Is that what Peter told you? Hey, hey, Grandpa, is that what Peter told you when he was telling you about Jesus? Like, no, 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 shut this thing down. This isn't right. But people didn't do that. People were thankful that somebody finally took Peter's recollections and wrote them down, you know, and, or that people took the other disciples' uh, stories about Jesus and what they'd been teaching and finally put it in writing before they died. Just like some of you have done with your parents, grandparents, have any of you done that? Sat down with folks as they were getting older and like, tell me a story, you know, and you're like writing it down or you're recording it or uh, you've got audio or video of parents or grandparents that are sharing something from their time period and you don't want it to be lost. That's what we have in the New Testament. It's things that, that we didn't want to, to be lost and so they wrote them down. Um, so he talks about that for the New Testament and then he says, because of this, we have even greater confidence in the message of the prophets because the prophets pointed us to Jesus. And we saw Jesus come in the flesh. We saw what God had done. And so we, we have confidence in what we read in the prophets. They're like a lamp shining in a dark place. Like, so imagine for a minute that all the lights went out in here. And there must be a big storm because there's no, no light coming in the windows. All right? So pretend it's super dark in here. And somebody pulls out their phone and turns on the little flashlight on there, right? If you, you've done that, haven't you? I do that all the time at my house. Um, it's dark. I don't want to turn on a light because I don't want to wake somebody else up. You know, Stacy or the boys or wherever I happen to be. If I'm wandering through their room and, and it's dark, I've got to... Well, it's never dark in the boys' room. they got nightlights and stuff. But anyway, you get the idea. You turn on the flashlight and you're, you're looking. And he's like, that's kind of what the prophets are like. It's light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. He says there's like kind of no comparison though. Now that Jesus has come, the light is so much brighter. We can see God so much more clearly. We trust the prophets because they were hints of what God was going to do in Jesus. They were pointing us toward Jesus and now the day has dawned. He says those prophets weren't just sitting around and saying, I think I'll write something about God. I wonder what God thinks about what we're going through. I've got an idea. And just, he said, they didn't do that. No, God like moved them, <laughs> grabbed a hold of them and said, hey, you need to go, I've got a message for my people and I need you to share it. Um, you might remember back on, uh, was it Mother's Day, I think, that Pastor Judy was up here saying like, this is the last place I ever thought I would be, right? You know, but <laughs> amen from her back there. But, you know, but God grabbed a hold of her and said, this is what I need you to do. You know, it's not what I was planning to do with my life when I was in college until God grabbed a hold of me and said, this is what I want you to do. And uh, just... I, I think it's kind of similar to our experiences that back in the day, you know, when Isaiah is sitting around doing his priestly duty, well, we've got that recorded in Isaiah's uh, uh, scroll, I guess, in the book of Isaiah. He was just doing his priestly duty and all of a sudden has this amazing vision of God seated on a throne, high and exalted. And God is saying, like, who, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah's like, 
me, I guess, you know, <laughs> since you're saying this to me, I don't see anyone else, you know. And God sends him with a message to his people. He says they weren't just making things up. They were moved by the Holy Spirit, speaking messages given to them by God. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, his protege, says, Since childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures that help you to be wise in a way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Since childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. So he had known what God had said in the, in the Torah, in the first five books. You know, you'd known what God had said through the, through the prophets and through the writings, the, the Psalms and the Proverbs, the wisdom books. And he says, you've known these Holy Scriptures, and they have helped you to be wise in a way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. It says, knowing the Scriptures prepared you, helped you to be wise in a way that when Jesus showed up, and you heard the good news about Jesus, you recognized, ah, this is what we've been waiting for. Ah, this is what the scriptures were preparing us for. I'm, yes, yes, this is the Messiah. This is God um, showing up in the flesh, establishing his kingdom once again here on earth. He says, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. That every bit of scripture is inspired, is useful. Inspired by God and is useful. Inspired by God, that's where the question comes in, right? Like, well, wait, didn't you just say that God didn't just, you know, drop this book out of the sky? Well, yeah, because it didn't arrive that way. But, but it's not like people just sat down and just wrote whatever they wanted. You know, God was still speaking. God was moving. God was uh, inspired. Can also mean God breathed is how some translations put that. But it's not like the Apostle Paul or David writing the Psalms or, you know, Moses writing down what God told It's not like they just sat down or like, you know, took dictation and just like, okay, God, what do you say again? Oh, wait, slow down, slow down, slow down. I'm having a hard time with this chisel and this stone or whatever. Um, I guess there is a little, bit of, a little bit of that in Moses' story where he has to chisel some stuff onto a stone that God says. But for the most part, like you look at the New Testament, especially in the letters from Paul and the letters from others, we have evidence of like, no, the, the human being who's writing this with God, like their personality comes through. Their experiences come through. God moves them and they, and they write. Um, people turn to Paul with questions and he answers their questions. And sometimes in his letters he says, now I don't have a command from the Lord about this, but this is just what I think. And then he shares what he thinks. And then, and then he turns around and says, now this comes from the Lord. And he lets them know what Jesus said you know, about that topic. Every scripture, every bit of scripture is inspired by God. We, we see God speaking through every bit of scripture. It's all useful for teaching, showing mistakes, for correcting, for training in character, so that those of us who belong to God can be equipped to do everything that is good, so we can be prepared, so that when God has something good for you to do, if you've been reading the scriptures, if you've been letting that sink into your mind and shape your imagination, you are ready in that moment to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. Now, we're part of the Church of the Nazarene, and so I, just, I like our article of faith on the Scriptures, and so I just went ahead and included it there. It says, uh, we believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. Sorry, plenary just means like the whole, like it's all inspired, similar to what we just read. The plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, just to be clear, given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation. So that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. Like, we can't force you to believe something or to, to ascribe to something that, we don't, that doesn't arise out of the Bible. And, uh, and it says, 
this, this, these 66 books, the Old and New Testaments, given by God's inspiration, they in- inerrantly reveal the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation. There is nothing you need to know to be saved that's not already revealed to us in the scriptures. This is where we go to find out how do I be saved? How do I, how do I get uh, forgiven for my sins? How do I connect in a, in a real and meaningful way with the God who made me, the God who loves me? And he says this, the scriptures inerrantly reveal what God wants for us in all things necessary to our salvation. Um, in other words, it's, it's useful, right? The scriptures are useful. They can help us connect with God. They can help us know how to be saved. They can help us know how to live our lives. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, sometimes people turn to the Bible for that I don't know that the Bible is especially written for, you know? Um, like we already know, like today, if, if I have to, if, if, you're, if one of you comes to me and says, hey, the internet went out partway through the service, I'm not going to look to the Bible to figure out how to fix the internet, right? Because the Bible doesn't speak to that, all right? There's all kinds of things the Bible just doesn't speak to. And so we have to read the scriptures and, and understand how God interacted with his people in their settings so that we can have a better idea of how God wants us to, you know, handle things in our settings, Although I don't know that God really has a preference for how we go about fixing the internet. That was a bad example. Sorry. Um, but all those things that we might disagree about, to get to that question that someone was asking, um, you know, we look to Scripture to hopefully get some guidance. You know? And the Apostle Paul even, bless you, sorry. The Apostle Paul, even in his writings, in his letters, a lot of those are written in response to questions that people had. Uh, he, you know, I didn't initiate this whole method of like, teaching or anything uh he would write a letter you know they'd write a letter to him saying hey how do we handle this situation and what do we do about this and someone came and told us this but that sounds different than what you said what do you think and then paul writes a letter in response to these questions and it's interesting to me that paul doesn't in his responses doesn't just go quote scripture verses to him he doesn't just say oh well let me look that one up for you you know this before google so they couldn't do it themselves and he says oh well the prophet so-and-so said this that answers that one and and uh this is you know from the psalms that answers that one and he doesn't just go to Bible verses and quote them to people. Now, he does reach back to the scriptures, and they, they do fit, and they do apply. You know, there are, time, there are many times that Paul will reach back and quote something from the, from the Old Testament, from the, from the prophets, um, or from the Psalms. But then they have to be kind of reappropriated for the present day. They have to be like, so what does that have to do with us, Paul? Um, how does what God said to them back there, what does that have to do with us? And sometimes he can be pretty creative in the ways that, that he makes some connections. Because the Bible simply is not, um, as again, you've discovered if you read it, the Bible, as much as we might want it to be, the Bible isn't just a nice little index of all the situations we might face and how to deal with them. Now, I, I love books like that. Uh, I remember having a book like that, like different situations. you Got, you know, is worry an issue you're dealing with? You go to the chapter on worry, and it points to a whole bunch of different sections of Scripture that talk about worry. You know, you got money questions, here's a whole bunch of parts of Scripture that talk about money. Uh, you got family issues or something with your kids, and here's a whole bunch of Scriptures that talk about family and kids. But it's not just, it's so often it's not straightforward, it's ambiguous, it's not as clear as maybe we would like for it to be. You know, for example, if you're struggling with uh, social media and how to deal with a troll on social media or someone is just always getting your goat and, you, and you're just turning into flame wars and it's getting ugly, you might be like, oh, good. I'm glad that, that Pastor Rich included Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 this morning. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. You're like, yes, exactly. I need to remember that next time. You know, uh, they say something foolish and I want to show them how they're wrong and not just wrong but stupid. And, uh, oh, no, wait. 
don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. I've done it too many times. I've got to keep my fingers off the keyboard. I've got to keep scrolling. I've got to you know, snooze for 30 days or whatever I need to do to not, not see that and not respond to that. Thankfully, God gives us something like that there in Proverbs, right? Aren't we glad? And if you're reading that, if you look that up in Proverbs chapter 26 and kind of want to read, okay, what's before that? What's after that? You get to the very next verse, and it says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. But wait, just wait. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Answer a fool according to his folly. Which one am I supposed to do? That's frustrating, isn't it? You know, don't you wish that God would just say one or the other? But Proverbs put, and they put these back to back as if to say, yeah, this is not an accident, right? This didn't slip through the editing process at some point. Both of these can be wise advice depending on your context. And so it's given to us in this collection of Proverbs, this collection of wisdom to say, not to just simply tell us what to do. And I go to the Bible and I look it up and I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. All right, here we go. But I look to that and I say, okay, is that what I need to do or is this what I need to do? And we go to God and we're like, okay, either of these could be wise. Which of these do I need to do this time? Do I need to answer this person so they're not wise in their own eyes, you know, to let them know that, like, oh, you've missed something? Or do I not answer them so I don't get sucked into something that's destructive? I'll be honest, I kind of wish there was only one of those in there, right? And not both. But there they are. And the Bible does this sort of thing, frankly, more often than we realize, I think. Because they're, usually they're not just back-to-back like that. Usually they're, they're a little more spread out. You know, you read something in, uh, in 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, about how God was at work in the life of King David. And then you get to 1 and 2 Chronicles, and it's kind of retelling the story of King David. And you get there, and you're reading, and you're like, oh, it sounds a little different than what I read before. Eh, oh well. And you keep on reading, because you're trying to get through it, you know, or whatever. They're not usually just back-to-back, the differences. Or you read through Matthew's gospel, and then you get to Mark's gospel, and you're like, oh, he tells it a little differently. Okay. And you get to Luke's gospel, and you're like, oh, he tells it differently too. And you get to John's gospel, and you think, whoa, he really tells it differently. And the early Christians included all four of those gospels. And those who compiled the Old Testament kept all of the different accounts and kept both Proverbs in there. Because God didn't design the Bible just to be like an answer book for all of our questions. Instead, it's this I guess the way I think of it more is it's telling a story. It's, it's, the, it's recording the dialogue between God and his people down through the ages. And as, as God's people are slaves in Egypt and he rescues them from Egypt, there are things that they need to know and things that they need to do and, and things that they need as in that point in their history that are different than the things that they need when they are established and in the promised land and they've got a monarchy and they've got a king and they've got, they need to learn how to live you know, wisely there which is different than what they need to hear you know, a couple hundred years later when they've been exiled to Babylon and they've been overthrown and they're wondering, is God still with us? And then all of it gets changed when Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I think, oh, good. So he's not coming to change anything. He's not, going to, he's not going to do away with it. In fact, the verses after that, he's like, there won't be a single dot of an I or a cross of a T or a jot or a tittle. You know, the, the Hebrew little markings in the Hebrew language. The, not, not one of those will pass away, you know, until everything is accomplished. And then what's he do? He, he 
engages in a, a whole series of saying, okay, now you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, and he quotes something in the Old Testament, but I tell you, and he changes stuff. So right after he says, like, hey, I'm not abolishing that, I'm, I've come to fulfill it, then he, he spends, like, several moments saying, okay, so you've heard that, but I tell you. And he's, like, reinterpreting the, the law for people in his day. He's helping them to understand, here's what God intended. Here's why God gave you that law. Here's why God said that to you long ago. You know, like the, one of the most famous ones, you know, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Love your enemies. You know, he goes into this, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. He's saying, you can't, he's saying, I'm, I am changing some things. And that's where it gets to like the whole abolish or fulfill. He's saying, I'm helping you to understand. Fulfilling this means I am coming to, to help you understand what God really meant by this stuff. What God's intentions were. Who he's trying to help you to become. I'm not doing away with it. I'm helping you to understand it correctly. Although I included in there from Mark chapter 7 where uh, Jesus is getting in a debate with some folks about why, they're asking him, like, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And, and there was this Jewish tradition of washing in a certain way. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? The stuff that goes into you doesn't defile you, doesn't make you unclean. It's, it's what comes out of you. It's the, it's the words that you speak and the life that you live that makes you unclean. He said the, in the verses I included there, he says, don't you see that nothing, this is later he's talking just to his disciples, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then, out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Mark has this little parenthetical moment after this. All foods clean. And he's not talking about like, you know, washing it in the sink ahead of time. Uh, if you know your Old Testament or you know your, your Christian history or whatever, um, you know that the Jewish people, you know, they've got kosher laws. They've got laws about what you can and can't eat. Certain foods are considered clean. Certain foods are considered unclean. And Mark in writing this gospel and, and this account of Jesus is saying, Jesus declared all foods clean. It's all, it's all good now. He's changing stuff. I am uh, aware of the time and realizing that I, mm, I did not organize this morning's message very well. Okay, all right, sorry about that. Um, I do want to ask real quick that I feel like I didn't get to the most fun part. The, when people argue for or against something, and both sides use Bible verses to support their argument. How does one Bible verse trump another or, uh, or outweigh another? What, what's, an, what's an issue? Anybody have an issue that you know, like, oh, this is an area that people disagree on, and they're both using the Bible to, to argue for it? Anybody got one of those? That it bugs you, and you really wish, like, oh, man. You're all just like, Rich, no, we got to go, man. Quit talking. Okay, all right, fine. Okay. We, we may be, next week may end up being one of those. Next week we're going to talk about how we love our, our LGBTQ friends and family. And uh, there are definitely folks quoting the Bible on both sides of that, that issue. And so we will, we will get into that next week. And um, I will just say, let me just skip down to the very end, that last scripture that's, that's in your notes there, where Jesus says, you search the scriptures says this to some religious folks. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. He's saying there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. He says the scriptures are pointing to me. If you want life, you come to me. You come to Jesus. The reason we turn to scripture is because they make us wise. 
wise in a way that leads us to accept the salvation that comes through faith that's in Christ Jesus. The reasons we look to Scripture is because it guides us not just in how to live our life. It's not just a book about make the decisions you make or how to be a moral person or anything like that. It's, it's a book that leads us to Jesus. And because of Jesus, we find life. We find forgiveness. We find freedom. He gives us his Holy Spirit who guides us through life. And if I could give you just that one, the briefest possible way I can think of to... Uh, to answer the question about, like, how does one verse trump another, is that Jesus tells us the most important commands, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these commands. The apostle Paul mentioned that multiple times in his letters, says that, like, this, this is what guides them all. And so if you want to know, like, okay, how do I decide which, which way to go here? Well, is it helping you to love your neighbor as yourself? Is it helping you to love God more fully, more completely? then that's the way you ought to go, all right? If it leads you closer to Jesus, if it, if it more clearly articulates the law of love that he gives, then that's what you ought to go with. All right, let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's pray before we celebrate communion together today. God, thank you for your love for us that you have revealed in Jesus Christ. Thank you for moving um, <laughs> Moses and David and and. Matthew and Mark and Paul and all the others, thank you for moving these, these authors to write, to speak, to, to communicate to us uh, the message that you needed your people to hear. Thank you, God, that today, as we read this ancient document, uh, at least a couple thousand years old for the newest parts of it, uh, God, still today, your Holy Spirit speaks, and we encounter you the living God. We hear good news about your love for us that you've shown in Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit still today speaks to our hearts and to our minds and reminds us of your love. Thank you, God. Thank you for the ways that you have been at work in our lives, in our histories. Thank you for the, um, the ways that you meet us here and now. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate this sacrament of Holy Communion. We offer you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here among us, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves, thanking you for the grace that you have given us in Jesus Christ, that you have conquered sin and death and the devil through his death and resurrection. Thank you, God. That today, as we come clean to you about the ways that we have failed, the, the sins that we have committed, the things that we should have done, that you were calling us to do, that we, we chickened out on and we didn't do, as we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just. You forgive us our sins and you wash us clean of all unrighteousness, all sin, all disobedience. You wash it away. Thank you, God. Thank you for the love that you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for meeting us here by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for embracing us as your kids and helping us to encounter you as our loving Heavenly Father. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion today, um, we're still in this place where uh, the celebration of communion means the little cups. We'll pray and we'll peel back the layers together and get to the bread and the juice. If you're with us from home, uh, then now's a great time for you to be gathering together some elements of bread or juice and the clo- or the closest equivalent if you would like to celebrate with us. Thank you. Thank you for being near to us, God, for coming right into the midst of our mess, our sin, our brokenness in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that even today, as we reach out to you, we find you to be that faithful God who who meets us here. Thank you for this sacrament of communion, where in a tangible, touchable way, we can be reminded of this, this reality. We can be reminded of your closeness, your nearness, your presence, and your power in our lives. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He took the bread. He gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, take, eat, all of you. This is my body broken for you. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat the bread. After the meal, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink this, all of you, this is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new agreement, the new covenant between God and humanity. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the great price that you paid to set us free. And thank you, God, that you did not leave Jesus in that grave, but you defeated death. You raised him up. You gave him life so that each of us can know (laughs) that sin does not have the final say in our lives. Death does not get the final say. The devil does not get to decide who we are or who we will be. God, you are the one who gives us life. Thank you for the freedom, for the forgiveness, for the life you give us today. Fill us with the spirit of Christ, we pray. So that as we leave this place, we might go confident in your love, led by your Holy Spirit, filled with your grace to share with the people around us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.